Hey, romance nerds. Welcome to the last trope of the year. We're bringing you a real barn raiser of a last episode. <laughs> You're going to be really bugged if oh you miss God. this one. <laughs> oh, no. So lace up your bonnet, grab some shoe fly pie, and let's go. <laughs> Do you like that, Jackie? Do you like that? That's great. Beautiful puns. Thank you. <laughs> hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jen. Hey, Jackie. Do you want to know the best-selling erotic Amish romance title that was never published? Yes, please. Fifty Shades of Plain. <laughs> All right, that one's really good. Yes! <laughs> three for three! <laughs> Working on the game! <laughs> I am so sad now that there is not a secular market for this stuff. Oh, that would have been a beautiful book. I would have oh. put that on my Goodreads. Oh, my gosh. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, that's that's a great start right there. Okay. <laughs> and I want to welcome you guys to yet another episode of Raging Romantics. Yay. Yeah. We are really happy you guys decided to join us on our last deep dive of 2021. Wild. Congrats on getting through another year, everyone. We sort of did it. Yay. Only Woo-hoo. minor craziness this year. <laughs> it was easier this year and, and harder at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I have had so much fun talking to you guys about paranormal and dark romance and scandals this year. And I'm going to cap it all off with one of the craziest, most interesting genres ever Amish romance. I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready for it. All right. I kid a little bit. I joke a little bit. But I am really weirdly fascinated by this genre. It's crazy popular. It makes a ton of money. And I meet patrons all the time who are obsessed with these books. Yes. And for the last 10 years, I've always felt like, why? Yep. (laughs) Like, why is this a thing? Yeah. I don't get it. Nope. It just goes right over my head. Yep. I don't understand it. And if I'm being honest, I think that's been really unfair of me. Like, if I can see the appeal of Omegaverse... Mm. But I don't get why people are into buggy rides and sowing wheat. Like, that's not (laughs) fair of me. So this last month, I've really been digging into Amish romance to answer my really big question, why? And I am really excited to talk to you guys about it. I promise it is more interesting than it seems. And I am on the same, in the same boat as Jen, where Mm. I've never actually read an Amish romance. Mm. I will confess. I've never understood really the appeal behind it. I can kind of get it, and we'll get into that in this episode. But in preparation for today, I've been listening to a lot of other like romance podcasters, and I'll mm-hmm. link them down below, who did the same thing we're about to do, where they read Amish for the first time, or like for the first time in a long time, and really examined like, their own feelings about the genre. Mm-hmm. And I had Womance, um, the podcast Womance, which is great. If you guys get a chance, go listen to them. They're funny. They're like Jen and I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they had sort of a visceral reaction to reading um, a book called The Wish. And one of the podcasters looked at herself and she's like, why am I having this visceral reaction Mm -hmm. to this book? And why am I feeling so standoffish towards it? Mm. So I think if even on surface level, you're like, oh, heck no, I would never read a book like that. 
give it a shot. Yeah, I'm get, Jen and I are making ourselves. Well, Jen's making me. Yeah, she's she's throwing things at me to make me do it. Okay. No. Um. But let's we'll just start that conversation with that transparency mm. that it's never been something I've been interested in. I've had people hand it to me before, and I've mm-hmm. never really been into it. But try everything once. There you go. That's the spirit. Except murder. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, too, I still have not read an Amish book. I have been digging into books about Amish romance and articles about Amish romance for the last month. Yes. Because I kind of have a feeling I'm not going to like it. Yeah. I'm going to be upfront about that. So I didn't want any kind of like or dislike influence this particular episode where we really kind of dive into like the history and the whys and mm-hmm. some of the features of the novels themselves. Because I am telling you guys, this is big money. It makes millions of dollars for Christian publishing. Yes. And I have met so many devoted fans. So this is more about putting aside my own misconceptions. I will say the genre itself is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like I get really into kind of these micro details of how it started and kind of the way that the genre itself has shifted and the new elements that have been added. Yeah. So I think that part will be really interesting to you, to most of you guys, even if you're kind of like me and Jackie and you might be a little bit like. Way too secular for this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But also that being said, let's remember that any good book needs discourse right mm-hmm. and yeah, it was one of the reasons i wanted yeah. to start the podcast i feel like romance is not taken seriously reading through a lot of research for amish romance it is not taken seriously no. i found one book thrill of the chaste which is really funny <laughs> you um, have to admire their titles that was the beautiful. puns are mm-hmm. chef's kiss by valerie weaver zercher i don't know if i said your name right i'm sorry but Uh, she took it very seriously she took it without joking and that is pretty rare for this field and this genre in general so as much as jen and i obviously have our opinions we're going to restrain them as much as possible i apologize in advance for any rages that come out sometimes you know i can't help myself jen i have quarters prepared Um, i've got turkey noises yes yes (laughs) (laughs) turkey noises are jen's indicator to me to edit everything out that we're about to say or that we have said but um keep in mind this is not an attack if you happen to love amish romances that's great. Again, glad you find a book that you love. I'm really love. hoping this episode, at least, will be enjoyable for you guys yeah. that like Amish romance. I don't know if you want to listen to the second one where we talk about the ones we read. Yeah. But this one, I really did learn a lot about the industry itself. Yeah, same. Because I have to say, I did not know Christian publishing. I guess I kind of knew it was powerful. I did not know it was so influential. And I did not know how many millions they and made. And where it was coming from, too. Yeah. Like, where it's most popular, which, psychologically speaking, to me, is very interesting. Yeah, so that's stuff I really want to talk about. So hopefully you will enjoy that aspect. Let's go. And hopefully for the people who are like us, who are genuinely curious, this will be an enjoyable listen for you too. So let's get in our buggies. Are you ready to ride off into the cornfield with me, Jackie? (laughs) I need coconuts. (laughs) Well, then let's get in that buggy and ride. So Jackie, we have both admitted to have never reading a romance book. Well, that's well, dumb. <laughs> that's pretty much all I read, Jen. <laughs> Sorry to break it to right. you. <laughs> we have never read an Amish romance there book. There Yeah, That's going to be tricky for my tongue to do sometimes. It's okay. But only one of us has been studying them for the past month. Yes. <laughs> I've been so, living with my head in the sand. <laughs> so just when I say Amish romance novel, what do you think they are? Okay, so clean romance, which I know you hate the term clean. I hate the term so, so instead, much. I'll use, I heard sweet romance mm-hmm. a lot. I saw, I saw that a lot, sweet and nice. And we use closed like door, but it's not even closed door. It's like, it's not even there. The doors doesn't it's exist. It's the Berlin Wall. It's Ooh, nailed that shut. That might have been a bad analogy. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is completely 
sweet. It is completely safe for pretty much all ages to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I envision <laughs> the one of the podcasts I listened to today. They were like, I was really hoping for like hands glancing on the butter churn, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my god, yes, that's yeah. it! Mm-hmm. Like just longing glances mm-hmm. across the field and like mm-hmm. kind of this twilight haze on everything in this very pastoral setting and happily ever after yeah no that's pretty much a lot of it okay. you got like a big section of it and listen I can admire that that sounds great yeah. and you know what I'm not trying to trick you guys today it's pretty much that simple yeah. in a lot of aspects an Amish romance is an inspirational romance novel set among the the Amish it, it's pretty simple Pretty simple, and yet it is massively popular. It has made millions of dollars since Beverly Lewis reintroduced the concept back in 1998. In 2012, a new Amish romance was released every four days. So readers are eating this stuff up like it's molasses pie. Yeah. (laughs) I've never tried one like we've said, but I've worked in libraries since I was 16. And I can tell you from my own experience, these books have always flown off the shelves. The three top Amish romance authors have sold over 24 million books. They've gotten so popular that they've become their own subgenre in Christian publishing, which would have been unheard of a very long time yeah. ago. This is really relatively new. Yeah. Like even 30 years ago, they were mostly focused on like these devo- these devotional nonfiction books. Yeah. So even that, it's become a force. They've even started new trends in more of these religiously focused groups, like mm. the Mennonites, the Shakers, the Quakers, and lots of others. But today, we are just going to focus on the Amish, yes. since that is still the most popular. Yeah. Like I've said many times already, people are obsessed with the Amish. Before we dig into why, do you have any theories, Jackie? I do. As um, a depressed millennial myself, (laughs) (laughs) I can definitely see the appeal, especially coming out of 2020, Mm -hmm. the pandemic, which is now an endemic. There's a lot of people, Mm -hmm. mine and Jen's age, and other ages too, but especially the millennial age, who are moving away from society, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. and wanting to, like, return to roots. So, like, I mean, I live on a farm. I've always known the glory of farming and chickens <laughs> <glory>. and <laughs> waking up before the sun and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not good stuff. I have a caffeine addiction because of it. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, but I really think a lot of it has to do with – okay, so bear with me for this explanation really quick. Please, go for it. In classical studies, because I'm jumping away from millennials now, we're going into classical uh-huh. studies, okay? So Go for in it. classical studies, there is this theory of the golden age, right? Mm-hmm. And so this always happens in societies when they're most grandiose, when they're large, when they're really powerful. There's um, a group of people who yearn for the golden age. And the mm-hmm. golden age isn't a specific time. It's this setting where everything is perfect everything is simple you know there's no strife Mm -hmm. it's just simple and how man was meant to be Mm -hmm. right and by man I mean human not just yeah male presenting um and so in the classics that was um for the Romans it was ancient Greece for Greece it was Mm pre-Greece I'm blanking anyways you guys don't care (laughs) (laughs) I think that now for a lot of people going back to the millennials our age or even older, especially the people who read this, they're looking for something that's more simple, mm-hmm. that's cleaner. I know you hate that that's reference. Okay. I, know. I hate it too. It I get enrages it. me. But I, I think that we are so what's the word I'm looking for? Anesthetized. Anesthetized. Mm-hmm. That is a very big word. I can't even anesthesia eyesed <laughs> version of it. <laughs> Um, we're so like dulled out by everything we're exposed to these Mm -hmm. days I mean you watch tv and there's like violence and drugs Mm -hmm. and murder and sex and Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it makes for great TV. Right. Not get me wrong, but sometimes it just gets a little much. Mm-hmm. And I think that people who read these are really looking for that pure escapism, mm-hmm. that pure pleasure of just going somewhere simple and perfect, mm-hmm. quote unquote perfect, but simple and perfect, and just away from this large, grandiose, mm-hmm. overwhelming society we live in today. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm that glad you stuck with nice. me for that really long <laughs> rambly thing. No, it's okay because I want us all to keep kind of. Uh, Jackie's explanation in mind because I think a lot of people will kind of boil it down to those simpler kind of concepts and I'm here to tell you that there are actually a bunch of reasons it's not simple unfortunately it's not as plain I wish (laughs) not as plain Sarah plain and tall (laughs) but let's keep all that stuff in mind and let us give a little background to the Amish history except I get to do it this time (laughs) I like history too yes I get to do sometimes you are the actual historian I'm just the medievalist yeah So I'm assuming most people have at least heard of the Amish, uh, but most people probably don't know where they've come from. Mm-hmm. The Amish are actually a branch that grew out of the Anabaptist. Uh, Anabaptist. It is Anabaptist, right? Yes. Okay, yep. take that yep. out. Okay. The Amish are a branch that grew out of the Anabaptists. They were a group that came about during the Radical Reformation in the 1500s and believed very strongly that adults should be baptized instead of infants and that reformers should have been way harder on the Catholic Church. Yes. So the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. So putting aside any notions of religion, if that's right or not, whatever, this was actually a huge problem because officials at the time used baptism records to tax, manage, and count citizens. Mm -hmm. So they were not happy that they refused to baptize their children. Over 2,000 Anabaptists ended up being executed Mm -hmm. for refusing to baptize their babies, and a lot more faced persecution and torture. They ended up gaining a lot of attention for their pacism, which in turn became a really key belief for Anabaptists as well as just being separated from the world in general. And those are things that we still kind of think about with the Amish today. In 1693, there was a split in the Swiss Anabaptists. The Stricker group wanted to believe in church discipline, kind of like shunning, Mm -hmm. have an even more intense world-rejecting way of life than the others, and it became a major part of their beliefs. That leader was Jacob Amen, and from that they became known as the Amish. Yes. So they came to the U.S. in two waves during the 18th and 19th centuries, and they live all over the country. I think the last time I looked, they were something like 42 states and two territories. They are spread pretty much everywhere. Yeah, pretty much everywhere. Their population doubles about every 20 years because they have so few members who leave, and there is so much emphasis on having large families. The average Amish family has 8.5 members. Ow. So currently, yeah, I know that poor reference. Currently, there's over 300,000 members of the Amish as of 2021. Some of their beliefs include this idea of yieldness. I'm not going to try to say the German words. Oh, wait. I can, and then Anna okay. can yell at me. All right. Go for it. What's the yieldness? Uh, Gelassenheit. Yeah. There so, you go, Anna. You can yell at me now. <laughs> so this means that the Amish should believe in humility and patience and in public expressions like plain dress, buggies, Pennsylvania German is their first language, and other expectations that the church calls the Ordong. Ordnung. Orgong. Ordnung. Okay, whatever. That it's thing. the order. Yeah, basically. It's street. Mm-hmm. So there's always been a lot of fascination with the Amish, good or bad, but they are incredibly private people, and they rarely produce any kind of guides or informational things for outsiders to get to know them by. Mm-hmm. This is changing slowly, but it's not fast enough for the rest of the world. They have been in popular culture pretty much as soon as they got here. The first Amish romance book was actually published in 1905. Hollywood has used them in a lot of TV shows and movies. Uh, Accurately or not is usually the question. (laughs) Not usually. But I want to really stand this out. They gained so much national attention, respect, and mass support in 2006 after the Nickel Mines school shooting. 
So if you guys don't know what that is, a gunman took 10 little Amish girls hostage in their school and he ended up killing five of them before killing himself. It was like a huge tragedy. It was awful. Yeah, it happened like an hour from where I lived in Pennsylvania. Mm. Like I was because I'm from Pennsylvania and I'm really close to Lancaster. It was awful. And it made national coverage, not just because it was horrific crime, but the parents immediately forgave the shooter. Wow. That day they were already praying for him and his family. I saw reports that they actually comforted his father for like an hour. They let the dad of the shooter cry on them. And they actually put a a fundraising fund together for his widow. Hmm. So forgiveness is a mass, like a massively important aspect of their belief system. And people all over the the world really were really floored and touched and shocked to see them actually living it. Hmm. So a lot of readers actually came out from that and said, hey, this is when my interest began in the Amish. Um, I just was so shocked by this i needed to learn more about and them touched probably yeah, yeah there's a publishing upswing two years later that seems to suggest editors yeah. actually did start getting their hands on amish works immediately after the shooting yeah that that tracks yeah since it starts becoming a thing like 2007 2008 yeah mm-hmm. interesting so i did want to throw that out there as a really important reason for why people are so interested in the amish aside from just like oh they're like these weird people with white bonnets and buggies in buggies and and like a very strange way of living most people would not really appreciate like they literally walk the walk of what they believe in yeah like because i was reading that story and i was like i would not do that yeah (laughs) are you kidding me (laughs) i mean i i like to think i wouldn't be that mean to the shooter's family but like to to that day forgive the shooter and try to move on past it i was like no i'm gonna wallow for years yeah happened to me and on top of that too i think it should be said that the amish faith to the Amish mm. culture, we won't refer to it as faith. It's a culture. To the Amish culture, well, it's both. It's a lifestyle and yeah. faith. Yeah, yeah. It's they do not believe in proselytizing mm-hmm. or preaching. Yeah. So they will not go up to somebody and be like, "I for." Well, in this case, they went up to them and they were like, "I forgive you," but that yeah. was because it was in that event. Mm-hmm. But they won't specifically go up and be like, "Jen, Jesus forgives you." And that is really interesting. You bring that up because it brings me to one of my first whys. Okay. So, like Hit I said. Me. Many times, my biggest question is, again, why? Why? Why are Amish books? <laughs> we want to know. Why is it? And I get it a little more now after this month of research. To be honest, these books are not for me. The bulk of Amish romance is written by evangelical writers for other evangelical readers. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions to this, and obviously lots of people are reading these books, not just evangelical believers, but that is the targeted audience, and yes. that is what many Amish writers say they target. And they aren't, it's not Amish writing Amish books. It is, like Jen said, evangelical Mm -hmm. women authors, Mm -hmm. mostly writing for the evangelical woman reader ages 40 and 50. And I have to be honest, that really shocked me at first. That's very specific. I guess I don't know why I thought Amish people were writing their own books. Like, they don't have technology. I I mean, (laughs) so so there is one I read. Yeah, Linda Brailer. Yes, and she has. She she handwrites it and she has a typewriter that she allowed. Which runs on batteries because batteries are allowed in the Amish Mm -hmm. So she is allowed to write those books and they are really popular. She sold Mm -hmm. almost 300,000 since she started in like the mid-2000s selling them i think that was the most shocking to me too yeah. was you know practice what you preach yeah. and that's something that a lot of other authors well, get flack for is not knowing or not mm-hmm. having the authority to write mm-hmm. on what they're writing about so i will say in the book i read thrill of the chase they make a big deal that they want some kind of connection so yeah. that's one reason beverly lewis is really beloved aside from being one of the first to do it is she has this connection with her mennonite uh, grandparents 
And like the first book she ever wrote, The Shunning, was based off of her grandmother. Yes. She just happened to turn her Amish. So if you can brag about, oh, hey, you know, I've got this Mennonite relative or my second cousin's school teacher was Amish and I got to know him really well. <laughs> you could, you could, it, it does give you a little more authority. Linda Blair, Brayer, I'm so sorry I can't say your name, but you're not listening to this anyway. We, you guys know we can't say names by now. She, only Amish person to actually write Amish work. Yes. Which, again, shocked me. Like we said, lots of people are reading these books. They also have a very big Mennonite audience. I, surprisingly, some men like to read these books, I think because of the rural and farming yeah. thing. But there are lots of smaller reasons for why people got obsessed with the Amish to begin with. But there's two really big things going on right now that evangelical readers in particular are very scared of. Hypermodernity. How do you say that? Hypermodernity. Hi- really? Hypermodernity. What, but there's a mod- I hate English so much. Maybe we should just speak in Pennsylvania German. Good <laughs> <laughs> talk. <laughs> That's not Pennsylvania German. So hypermodernity. Modernity. Here, you want me to say that one? Yes, Jackie's going to say this. I can't say it. So there's lots of smaller reasons for why people got so obsessed with the Amish, and Jen's going to really touch on those. But I feel like there are two major ones. Oh, you feel like it. Well, okay. Jen feels like it, and I'm reading her notes for her. (laughs) I can't say this one. So readers are very scared of hypermodernity. Thank you. Yes. Which is the frenzied escalation of more and more and more, like I said, society Mm -hmm. growing bigger and grander and people not liking that. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other one is hypersexualization, Ooh. which Jen and I like. You guys know that. <laughs> yeah, so the more sex and porn that's shaping and influencing mainstream culture, the more evangelicals created this kind of counter purity yeah. culture yeah. where modesty and chasteness are held up as these ideals, like the rearing of, rearing of purity rings, the reading of Amish fiction reinforces the morality of evangelical culture. So obviously, those two things are very opposite to what the Amish are. So you can sink into an Amish book and you do not have to worry about sex. You don't have to worry about tech. You don't have to worry about progress. Yep. You are basically reinforced with your own ideals. Yep. Which makes it super easy, interesting to me that the first Amish novel yes. ever published in 1905 <laughs> actually kind of was mean to the Amish. Like this was not in there at all and that's kind of how powerful these evangelical readers got that they were able to totally just create this industry industry and shift it from what it had started as originally would you like to know about the first amish book ever published jackie yes please i would i was so hoping you would say that (laughs) sabina so the first amish romance published in 1905 was sabina story of the amish by, by helen R- ryman snyder martin oh come on guys ryman snyder ryman <laughs> snyder so, that seems to be the first Sorry. ever sabina is about an english painter who rooms with an amish family while he paints scenes from their lives really nice sabina and the english guy augustus super english okay fall in love with each other however unlike a normal romance novel they do not end up together <gasps> it's not a romance novel then so it kind of is uh the thing is i'm really confused by the plot <laughs> did you i tried read to read i oh, tried you to did. Okay. it's actually available for free oh. uh it's like on one of those you know they scan it and they e-readers because like it's out of copyright not yeah too, no but like it's like on a google bot like google it's like an academic thing. Yeah, yeah okay so it's there and there's no really great breakdowns of what happened and there's like supernatural elements in it they both have visions it's super weird honestly that's the weirdest thing though is that it is crazy Mm. (laughs) anti-amish basically Hmm. so 
the author makes fun of them a lot. She keeps using Augustus to talk about how queer they are, how weird they are, how simple they are, how plain they are. And mm. normally that would be kind of like a, a high point for the author. Like they'd be like, oh, they're so plain. They're so wonderful. But this one's like, no, these people are weird. Well, you have to think. So this is pre-1930s, yep. pre-depression. Mm-hmm. So America is going as we're heading in towards yeah. the Great War. But we're also at a point where we're coming out of the Victorian age mm-hmm. and we're like, it's golden age in New York. This is literally golden age New York. You gave me the best segue. Oh, excellent. I, we're riding that I segue. wanted to mention that, yes, in this period, there is a lot of anxiety about immigrants beginning to that move too. into America. There is a huge appeal of pastoral books because of all the industrial changes going on. So with something like this, this is not so much about the Amish. This is really kind of people's anxieties yeah. about all of these new people coming in. Yep. Also at this time, something called local color writing was very popular. It was also known as regional fiction. Hmm. This was fiction that attempted to capture the particulars of mostly rural landscapes, peoples, and languages. Hmm. It was meant to be a portal, a setting outside of the world of modern development, a zone of backwardedness where locally variant folkways still prevailed. This let rich people sort of visit these backwards people from a distance, and it dealt with the threat of the foreign from within an apparently detached entertainment realm. So readers could bring themselves safely within distance of the stranger in the land, quote unquote, but it's a safe removal from the actual realities of an increasingly diverse America. Yeah. So these were especially popular with groups that they thought was kind of, to be blunt, safely white. Yeah. So, like, the Amish are super crazy white. Yeah. You know, they just are. And they were very scared of, like, the Italians coming in, of the, the Chinese coming in, of all these new groups yep. coming in. Uh, also safe, by the way, Tennessee Mountain folks were very Appalachia! popular. Yep. And the Creole, which I was kind of surprised by. But, okay, apparently those were white. They're so rooted in yeah. old American culture at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. So... It actually was very comforting for readers to see a book where, oh, there's this scary Amish other person. Yeah. <gasps> Obviously, my child is going to be attracted to that because it's like, you know, opposites attract. It's like mysterious. It's exotic, yada, yada. Yeah. And hey, don't worry, guys. Your kid will not end up with them. Uh, Sabina ends up getting married to some old Amish guy and like settling into motherhood. Augustus goes to Paris to study more. Oh, interesting. So that is the first okay. romance because they do have a temporary thing. Yeah. But it is very much... Uh, is there physical intimacy on page? No. Okay. <laughs> no. It is 1905. So it's 1905. We're still Victorian And really, about interestingly enough, the author m- tried to argue that this was kind of feminist and progressive for the age. <laughs> because the author herself was a socialist and she was a suffragette. So she, <laughs> was, so she wrote all the time about how the Amish view women's roles being like, oh, it's about making life more comfortable for the man. And there's one... <laughs> Jen just watched my eyeballs roll all it's the way so, back in my head. No, I'm it's sorry. It's so bad because actually she's got the grossest line ever comparing oh, no. the Amish to American Indians and how neither group let women live a life of joy outside of serving the man. Oh, come It's really on. bad. It is really, really bad. What she was trying to do, though, she was trying to make a point that when you avoid progress, this is actually what you get. These primitive, basic Amish. But she, plain, she, she paints a very plain picture of them <laughs> and seems to think it's impossible for you to be Amish and self-actualized. Hmm. So Sabina is left in this loveless marriage, stuck with her kids, which would hmm. not get printed today for no. multiple reasons. Yeah. So that was the first one that ever came out. That's interesting. And then three years later, it's really super funny that we get a much more pro-Amish, almost to, like, 
complete 90 degree yeah not like or we go from anti-amish to being like oh my god the amish are the best people in the huh. entire universe with the masquerading of margaret by cora god i don't know how to say these people's names i'm so sorry if your descendants are still out there She's cora okay. got shulk yeah belty that last one got shock something i don't know <laughs> i wish i talked but it is about a rich socialite coming to visit her Amish relatives and falling in love with the Amish way of life while mm. she's there. She ends up marrying another boarder who's staying with the Amish and loves them like she does. Um, <laughs> so that beautiful. sounds very like a plot that could happen in a modern Amish And actually that, that particular one does carry through. That okay. happens a lot where people yeah. go to stay with Amish families and fall in love with the Amish. Which but, is interesting mm-hmm. because if we're talking about how not a lot of Amish leave, how do they have a rich heiress cousin exactly, in yeah. New York City? What a shock. Sometimes it seems Meth. like the kids will, at least in the books, I don't know if this is true in real Amish, but if it's like a premarital pregnancy, they'll adopt the kids out. Oh. So that's a really common trope, actually, in Amish fiction is you, for whatever reason, go to an Amish settlement, you like want to hang out, and then you find this magical information that you're actually adopted from there. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. They all do it. Jen and I have a lot of research on like the coming actual... into the faith. Mm-hmm. for the next episode that we have to do so both books let readers sort of experience or play act being Amish but then they can go back to their normal lives so that was kind of how it started which is really fascinating yeah. to me considering you know, people have so much reverence for these books yeah. when you talk about the the readers the authors they're constantly like I love the Amish so much I respect them so much and it kind of started off as a way to like look at you from a distance look at the otherness mm-hmm, to feel yeah. better about myself and because i'm scared of all these foreigners coming in and i thought that was a really interesting aspect it's interesting because the amish weren't really mm-hmm. that well known no. in general society no. up probably until world war Two really put them on the stage because mm-hmm. the draft yeah and they wanted to fight the draft exactly. and then education reform and all that sort of stuff is when they really started oh, it's really fun actually you said that Oh, yay. I'm just giving you all kind the of. segues. No, I'm thinking to ahead. I'm probably jumping ahead, but it's really interesting you said that because that is one of the – it's kind of interesting. The writers who do these books really cherry pick what they want to feature mm. about the Amish. Mm-hmm. So these people we just talked about, they just thought the entire way of life was amazing and wonderful and beautiful. And that is very similar with modern authors. But they will not touch things like that. Right. They do not touch how we have kind of turned them into a weird, like, patriotic thing. How we really appreciate their values. Yeah. And, like, they never touch at all that, hey, you only get to educate it up to an eighth grade level. They never touch this holy kiss thing. What's the holy kiss? So once you get baptized, it's like a kiss. But it's male on male because, like, the bishop will baptize the male students and then the female's wife, or the, sorry, the bishop's wife will baptize the female students and, like, they kiss. But, like, I think it's on the lips and that's why they freak out so much. Touching. I couldn't quite figure it out. I tried to Google it because I saw that term and I was like, what, like, what is that? But no, especially, yeah, they do not touch at all that they are so, how do you pronounce the word? That's it, like pacifist. Pacifist? Yeah, but I thought there was a specific, like a non-resistance, like. Pacifist. Okay, it is pacifist. Okay, yeah. just take that They're one. such pacifists. <laughs> yeah, they, but, so a lot of writers will not at all draw on, hey, they will not go fight. Yeah. They are very much peaceful. They will not, like. They very much take things on the other cheek. And it's very interesting, the kind of stuff that they're like, oh, it's all about barn raising and and quilt circles and it's beautiful. But then they totally ignore it, like the hard farming. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's hard work. Yeah. Listen, I'm the daughter of a farmer. Mm-hmm. We're lucky. We're horse farmers. So we only have one crop that we put up mm-hmm. every year. 
and that's hard enough and it takes like two weeks to put it all up i cannot imagine Mm -hmm. doing this for six seven months out of the year up in the northern climate all by hand no machinery Mm -hmm. like do you want to know something funny yeah for all of the writing about how they're such great farmers and they live like this farm life, yada, yada, only 50% of Amish men actually are on a farm now. Yeah, because yeah. they have other industries that they can do. Yeah, exactly. And it's super expensive to farm. Yes. A lot of them can't afford to do it anymore. And you need a lot of land. Yeah. That's the thing. And as these... So... I'm trying not to relate it back to medieval history here, folks. Mm-hmm. But You're so, trying real hard, I'm I can so, tell. But <laughs> as these families, because like Jen was saying earlier, mm-hmm. every 18 to 20 years, these populations double. Yeah. And so there's a finite amount of land going mm-hmm. on. These families are growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just like more and more people on the same spread of land. Mm-hmm. It's The parcels are going to get smaller. Mm-hmm. Inheritance, it's probably like first male child inherits i'm gonna have to look into inheritance laws of amish now (laughs) what they do are there laws i mean there's church laws they probably will ignore the legal laws because they also don't pay like into a pension they don't have insurance i feel like social security yeah they like completely ignore the outside world and government as much as they possibly can so So, i imagine yeah they're not gonna they're probably gonna ignore a lot of the the yeah so there's going back to it there's not Mm -hmm. enough land to go around to all Mm -hmm. the family so there's not enough farming yeah yeah, I was just I was thinking in my mm-hmm. head about things. No, it's okay. It's a good seg. It's not even a good segue, but it was an interesting kind of <laughs> tangent. <laughs> That's my life. <laughs> so we see all of this start to kind of form in 1966 when Clarence Bernice Miller changes everything that had previously been written about the Amish, and we start seeing these aspects that we're talking about now. Interesting. I can't find a great bio of her, but her obit said that she grew up in an Amish family. And she must have converted to evangelicalism at some point in her life because she seems to be the first person to incorporate those beliefs into Amish romance. Mm. So, like Jackie said, a lot of evangelical beliefs are not really an Amish thing. No. You're not really supposed to have, like, a personal relationship to God. No. Born-again salvation. That's not really a thing. But that was very much a plot point in most of Katie, which is what she wrote. And she, it was a book about an Amish girl named Katie, obviously, who learns about God from reading Christian romances, becomes born again, and she now wants to save her family and community. Yeah. So this was also one of the first books to make a big deal about having virgin hero- uh, heroines. I mean, the others didn't have sex just because of the time period. But in the book, she presents Amish courting culture as very loose, as she puts it. And Katie actually gets made fun of for remaining covered up and keeping the lights on when she dates with boys in the, uh, in the evening. Hmm. So she's actually described as prudish and self-righteous by the teens and the adults in the community. Hmm. So in the whole point of this, Miller hoped her books would be read by the Amish, who would then become born-again Christians. Oh. Mm-hmm. And Ew. I think um, you hinted at this earlier, but evangelicals have ministered quote-unquote yes. to the Amish a lot and actually around 1966 there were groups of Amish who wanted greater expressions of personal salvation more wholesome youth activities and less stringent authority for church rules those groups splintered off and now there's over 40 affiliations of the Amish with varying levels of progressivism the most progressive seem to be the new order Amish who let people have their own personal faith narratives compared to one like the Schwarzschirber Amish that one Schwarzenegger. Ah, thank you. Yeah, who would really discourage that? So that is kind of where it starts with Katie. Do you I, want to know a fun fact? Please tell me a fun you fact. You probably knew this, but Maybe. uh, 
Beverly Lewis's father mm-hmm. was uh, an evangelist yep. minister who took up the cause, quote unquote, <laughs> of saving Amish mm-hmm. souls through revival meetings. Yep. Hands in the air. Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. I just had to. No, it was beautiful. <laughs> no, you. and that's exactly right because that's kind of where it starts to creep in. And it's just really interesting because the Amish don't like it. They don't. <laughs> they, don't like it. they really don't. It's really interesting because the evangelical vocabulary places the individual rather than the church community in the privileged position with regard to understanding God's yes. will and purpose. Yeah. So I thought that really explained everything because the Amish are so about the community first. Yeah. And evangelicals are like, no, it's about your relationship with God yours yeah no and that again that all goes back to Mm -hmm. the reformation and to where these different sects broke off um Mm -hmm. within their own personal faith beliefs and the amish were very strict very like community is all it's all about um subservience Mm -hmm. to not to the church but to the religion and to the community it's like doing your duty yeah versus your obedience and then evangelicals are very much like no protestant and Mm evangelical evangelicals were very much like you said the Mm -hmm. individual it's all about saving yourself it's all about being good in the eyes of jesus and and saving others too because that's a major thing like you said like preach they do not like preaching the amish sister (laughs) but evangelicals are all about preaching and going out yes and that's kind of how the The stuff started creeping into the amish community yeah So Miller particularly was the first to combine the three things that make Amish romance today so popular, which was rural particularism, Mm -hmm. chase romance, Mm -hmm. and evangelical uh, piety. Piety. Piety! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's like pie with a T. But interestingly enough, publishers aren't going to really get it until Beverly Lewis 40 years later. So it's like she started the recipe, and then Beverly Lewis picked it up later and made a cake. So Mm -hmm. all of this... Yeah. Are you telling me that there has never been a spicy Amish romance book <laughs> in over a hundred years? Actually, they did try to have some secular Amish books in 1986 to 2005. There were six published, I think. Oh, and yeah, they had sex in them. They were very scandalous. scandalous. And I want to read them. I you can go for it, but you can't find them anymore because the readers hated them. Yeah, so these Amish books had sex in them. They were very much like the emotional kind of like typical romance stuff, just with an Amish flavor. And the readers hated them. So, so these much. were still the evangelical readers. Mm-hmm. Even okay. normal readers. So sorry, not normal. Non-evangelical. <laughs> so evangelical readers would not read them because of the sex. Right. And then the secular readers were like, well, this is too tame. Like, why do I care about the Amish? So it was kind of badly in the middle yeah it, it straddled this line nobody area. wanted yeah you they either wanted one or the other like right i mean fair mm-hmm. romance readers today we're still like that exactly so beverly lewis is kind of the one that really changes everything okay the shunning is given credit a little falsely that it's the first but like we said it's not but she is the one to kind of start the industry okay she approached bethany house who was already her editor because she was a children's author. So she had a relationship with them already. They kind of trusted her already and was like, hey, I want to do this Amish series based around my grandmother at a Rankick book. Walter? I don't know. <laughs> right here. Ada Ronk mm-hmm. Bookwalter. Bookwalter. Yeah. And this got the attention of editor Carol Johnson, who actually understood herself that there was a huge draw for rural romance mm-hmm. after convincing her publishing house to print Janet Oak's series 30 years before. <clears throat> she felt a huge draw to the story and agreed to, pu- to publish it. The Shunning is released in 1997. Interesting. And no one was really sure what to expect. There. there was a lot of interest, like we've said, but 
not really this gentle Amish book. Like they were like, oh, people like Amish stuff that's maybe a little grittier, a little not more nonfiction. This was very non, not <laughs> that was not that at all. The vice president of Bethany House thought, hey, you know what? If they sold 25,000 copies, that would be great. Do you want to guess what they did end up selling? Probably a lot more than that. They sold over 150,000 its first year, and it's up to 1 million now. Wow. So, yeah, Beverly Lewis keeps writing. How many has the actual Shining sold? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That is interesting. I mean, she's not going to get up to quite that level just because I don't think she's ever made a number one. She's always on the bestseller list, but it's like number eight, number nine. Yeah. And that's one of the things the evangelicals really hate, that they, like, are not part of the world, but then they're not really respected by and the world either. they can't, like, break into these yeah, other lists. it's really kind of What weird. I found, so The Shining by Stephen King yeah. has sold more than 350 million copies mm. worldwide, which, that's another thing, worldwide and mm-hmm. being translated into other languages. Yeah. So, like, Stephen King has a huge population right. of, or a huge um, fandom mm. in Asia. Yeah. I can't imagine Amish romances going over very well in Asian I cultures. That one, I don't know about, but they have been translated into like 13 languages. Okay. okay. So I think there is some appeal overseas. There are still Amish populations yeah. overseas as well mm-hmm. in Europe. So they might want to read them too. I don't know what the European publishing is like at all for Amish. I will it's say. It's completely different probably. Probably. I focus mostly on the American. Yeah. Because that was my North book American. and my resources and I didn't think about it. So, it obviously is going really well. Obviously, not as well as Stephen King, but you know, it's still really good yeah, for. Hey. Something I wish that my they book were like sell that many yeah. copies <laughs> for something they were like. Well, I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll try it. Like it that's amazing. Over. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, the publishers were not sure if this was going to be a weird trend, or you know, a bunch of people thought too that Bethany House and Lewis had just cornered the market. A lot of people just were kind of like, "Oh, well, I don't think they want Amish books. I think they want Beverly Lewis books." So it actually took a couple of years for people to really understand, oh, hey, this is an Amish thing, not a Lewis thing. And it's not until 2006 when Cindy Woodsmall publishes her Amish book and the sales numbers blow everyone away that publishers actually feel confident in pursuing Amish romance themselves. And that is when it really gets started. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So it is a very short period of time comparatively where publishers are like, ew, I don't want Rama. Ugh, God, am I? You know, and now they're like, give me all the Amish romance. Yeah. I can pronounce it even. Yeah. <laughs> I should also say, too, like, this is separate. It's part of, quote unquote, Christian publishing. Yeah. Um, like Christian publishing houses. But mm-hmm. it's it's a beast of a completely different color. Yeah. It really is. So Christian romances, which we should probably touch on, touch on the next episode, too. Just like their popularity. We talk a little bit. But, I mean, this is really the big thing in Christian yeah. fiction now. It's a little different for nonfiction. I think that shifted a lot. A lot of people really loved kind of, like, the specific pastors. But, no, it was... Amish romance is kind of, in a way, Christian publishing. It is a major part of the market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's still just as much inspirational stuff. And we've got a bunch on the shelves. And we have some contemporary. And there are people that write outside of Amish... But there's something specifically about Amish romance that people are like, no, I want that. Yeah, I will say of all of the gentle fiction books mm-hmm. that I buy, the majority of them are like Beverly Lewis. Yeah. That's what it's I spend the most of that budget on. Mm-hmm. I just have gotten to the point where when I think gentle, I think Amish. I know that's not yeah. true, but it's either or Amish or, or like knitting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or knitting. <laughs> yep. Do you want to know another fun reason for why this is becoming a thing? Why? So aside from the shooting in nickel mines kind of making people, oh, hey, there's the Amish over there, the recession was a huge deal. Mm. We have to remember that that is happening in this period, too. Yep. There was actually a literary agent 
who commented that during tough economic times, there's always a return to historic American values, mm. followed by an upswing in nostalgic writing. So, Golden age. Exactly. Readers might have wanted to read about the Amish because they lived their lives with less. They survive without a lot of stuff. They don't have the stress of losing their jobs and their homes in the way that a lot of English people do. Or at least yeah. they have that appearance. Um, we've also said a lot. And just in case you weren't aware, Amish refer to the non-Amish as English, mm -hmm. which is why we keep saying English. It's not like oh, we're yeah, British fair. English, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's what that means. And fair I enough. do wonder, mm -hmm. post-2020, 2021, going forward in two years, how much more Amish we're going to see. I think it's still going to be pretty steady. Yeah. I think it will. Because it's still such a corner of the market. You know what it really hasn't broken into? What? Indie publishing. I think there's a good reason for that. Yeah. Because most of those people, they're going with... Spicy. Yeah. So actually... Okay. So from the indie specifically, yeah, they're spicy. They're probably going to get even more far out and crazy. But a lot of these people that love Amish already, they're probably going to go after the publishers they trust. Yep. The publishers are going to have a much more traditional kind of marketing strategy to get the word out about their books. And not to be ageist, that's mm -hmm. not where this is coming from. Yeah. The majority of Amish readers, as we've said, are going to be women age, ages between like 40, 50. Exactly. You know, that generation. Mm -hmm. um, and for the large part, they are not reading... The indie pubs like no. mine and Jen's generation is mm -mm. has been will no, always we just, be we have completely different ways of finding books of reading the yeah. books I can definitely see that I probably have more comfort with certain things than like my mother would mm. in acquiring certain books yeah my mom maybe. would not be into blue aliens yeah like no. I could not give my mother the the ice planet barbarians but oh, if you died. think about it they have very similar premises they're just on totally opposite yeah spectrums like they're both have themes of wanting to belong and belonging to the community and i've been rereading ice planet barbarians and so much of that is about community and belonging yeah there's just a lot of blue alien sex and i feel like the evangelical readers want the same thing they just don't want the even they don't want the alien sex yeah which fair enough not yeah, for hey, me it's okay i want the blue alien sex yes personally that's just me i'm getting you a t-shirt that says that <laughs> i'm not gonna wear it i will I never wear it, it. Yeah, so I feel kind of bad. I feel like I have said a lot of stuff about evangelicals. I just want to really stress that I can't put 100 million evangelicals into a monolith. I get that they are all different and they read things for different reasons. But there are a few basic practices that make them very reliant, maybe, on Amish fiction. Mm. Right? They tend to share a belief in biblicism, the priority given to the scripture, crucifixionism, a conviction that persons need to be converted and activism, a focus on efforts of the faith, such as evangelicalism and social activism. Mm. So they can be slightly uncomfortable with the worldly values of the modern world. And they often look or create opportunities to see their religion more closely reflected in their lives. So yeah, they're just like us. They want to see books about community and books that put the, like the family first. They just want to see more of their religion in it. So yeah, they're not going to go for blue aliens. Right. Unfortunately. So they have to make their own kind of Amish spit yeah. on it. And that's not to say that there aren't um, secular readers of Amish out there. Yeah. There are. Mm -hmm. I know people who check them out and they just enjoy kind of the gentle read yeah. of the whole thing and that pastoralism mm -hmm. and that simpleness to yeah. it. Um, and like Jen was saying and comparing Blue Aliens to Amish, <laughs> there is this, it's pure escapism. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a type of society that the general reader is never unfortunately going to mm -hmm. get to experience um whether it's blue aliens or farming with yoder out mm -hmm. in the field um 
And I think that that is where a lot of the appeal lies. I really do. I And with the religion, no, I really do think. I just want to kind of, I don't want to correct you, but I want to mention that one of the things I've read, they said that they like the word transport as opposed to escape, oh, which I thought was okay. a really nice way to put it because as she a, puts like it, it, a lot of people that have turned this into about escapism, she interviewed a lot of publishers and a lot of editors that were like, oh, people just want to escape their week. They want to get out of their lives, yada, yada. So she's really like oh no i want to use transport because it's a fuller more fleshed out word for what readers experience so i like that i'm gonna Uh, start using that yeah this critic levy grossman said you don't read genre fiction to escape your problems you read it to find a new way to come to terms with them yeah you want to be transported Mm -hmm. to not hoth because i think one of the things that again is really funny to me i keep hearing that people read the amish books because they're slow because it's like a slower take on your life you're not attached to your phone you're not attached to your car you're not attached attached to electricity so people are like oh yeah their lives must be so slow and gentle and nice Mm. but you know what they've got like eight kids and full-time jobs and they farm like do you really think they have all this time and they specifically too pick things that will not let them um like hurry their chores so yeah they'll wash their clothes by hand how long do you think it takes to wash your clothes by hand a long time a long time and right now i can throw mine in the the washer Mm -hmm. hate it so it's really interesting kind of the own values we put on these books that are very much not true in real life. Oh, I'm so glad you said that, Jen. <laughs> I wanted to give that to you. Yes, mm-hmm. because one of my big things about this is that it's fantasy. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily actually depict what Amish culture and Amish exactly. life looks like. It is very much so these mostly evangelical writers or even non-denominational so to some degree non-denominational writers Mm -hmm. writing these books from their own lens Mm -hmm. so this was where i went back in the beginning to practice what you preach sort of idea of it would be like me a white woman writing a book um, set in 1862 from the perspective of a 60-year-old black man. Okay. Like, in modern publishing, no. Mm-hmm. That is a big H-E double hockey sticks, mm-hmm. no. So why are – I just – I don't understand how it's so widely accepted that mm-hmm. these books are, quote-unquote, so factual, so representative when they're not. Yeah. Because Amish look at these books, and there are a lot of Amish readers for mm-hmm. these books, I will say. Yeah, but a lot, lot of them, them like to make fun of it. Yeah. Like, really on one of the covers, the dress was backwards. Yep. <laughs> and or they'll have, like, the cape wrong, or, like, the hat's too far back, and, like, the hair is too the, nice. The cup. K-A-P-P. Cup. The cup, yeah. That is the what bonnet. it's called. Mm-hmm. But it's, like... There's a lot of stuff that the Amish will read these books and be like, no, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no, but it's just, it doesn't, it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. And why are we so hyped up? And this is, I'm sorry, this is turning into a rant. Why are we so hyped up mm-hmm. on this genre when, and saying, oh, it's so true. It's so real. It's so mm-hmm. factual when it's not. So it's not that it's that far off because actually Weaver had a whole section about that. A lot of the really good authors will spend a lot of time in these communities. They have friends. They'll pay people to read their work. But, yeah, no, you're right. There's going to be a lot of details they just miss because they didn't grow up in that culture. Or that they gloss over. But I think a lot of times the Amish people will either kind of overlook it because it's like, you know what? They're doing their best. Like, I can read the appreciation for her. Um, I'm not going to get too hung up on, like, these really fine details. I think they get more mad about, like, the bigger plot points. Mm. So, actually, shunning 
is something that doesn't happen that rarely, mm-hmm. is from what I've read. Or like Rumspringa. Yeah, it's not really a big thing. Rumspringa! So I think they get really mad at, at things more like, oh, you're going to be shunned because you hummed an English song. Like, that doesn't really happen. It seems like the only time people actually get shunned is through frequent breaking of the rules. Right. Like, it has to happen a lot. It's not going to be something through a whim. Everybody Three has to agree to it. Three strikes and you're out sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And you can forgive. If you ask for forgiveness, they'll let you back in. Hmm. So I think it depends. And you know what? It, it's more of an evangelical thing than an Amish thing. So yeah. I think a lot of publishers' perspective is, you know what? If it's 90% right, it is a small group of people that will notice if it's wrong. And that 90% will inform more people than it harms. Yeah. So, like, if you have a, a person reading it for the first time who's completely new to the Amish way of life, and this is how they learn, maybe it's not a big deal that they got the detail about the color of buggy wrong. Or uh, so I read in this book, too, somebody was going to have them eat mac and cheese on, on a Sunday, and they're like, oh, Whoa. we don't do that. We no, do even that I know Sunday. that's a no-no. <laughs> <laughs> so, little things like that. But, you know, like you said, it's it really depends on people's own personal comfort levels within the Amish community. And I understand the irony of me saying this as somebody who consistently reads fantasy and blue aliens. Trust Mm -hmm. me, I understand the factual argument. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I don't know. I guess that's my my severe bias showing. I think that's the thing, though, is people... They want the the pastoral dream. Yes, and I they can want, understand that. They want like the chaste femininity. I don't understand that. But. That you know, fine, whatever. But and they want like the evangelical yeah. aspects. Like they want to see themselves reflected back. Yeah, I can understand that mm-hmm. too. It is very much of. It's meant like like we said in the last month. The entire mm-hmm. time, every book a reader, every reader their book. There's a book out there for someone, yeah. and this one definitely appeals to a large subset based on how popular it is, how many books it's sold, how many it's sold a lot, like, how much money mm-hmm. Beverly Lewis has made. Yeah, like what seven figures? I looked it up, so who knows if this is true or not? But <sighs> apparently, like sixty million, she's worth. Holy, and she's the Hannah. big one. There's still Wanda Brunstetter. There's still uh, Cindy Wood Woodstock Woodhouse. Oh, wow. I forgot her name already. That was Tracy Woodhouse. Wood Thank small? <laughs> Wood small. Yeah. So sorry, Tracy. The small woods. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. Okay. And let's, can we just talk about like clean, the clean, sweet aspect or is there something else you want to talk no, about? No, it's okay. I, I just want to mention that we've talked about it a little bit before. I really, really hate the concept of clean. I kind of hate that like anything that's, that's not clean is dirty. Yeah. I just, it makes me feel really gross. I get why people do it, but I'm just like, ugh. No, thank you. Yeah. For me personally. And I have enjoyed many a sweet romance. Mm-hmm. I won't lie. Um, I just read a great fantasy series that involved wyverns. And mm-hmm. it was a surprise completely when it was closed door. I was like, what? Okay. Mm-hmm. That was a letdown. But it's fine. It was still a good book. And so this isn't, again, it's not an attack on that. It's very much so just something completely different from anything that I would willingly pick up. Yeah. That it's going to be really challenging for me I think and I saw a lot of comments from mothers that were like you know what I want clean books quote unquote that right. I can leave around the house and to be fair that is how I got into my first romance novel yes. my mother left Sherilyn Kenyon on the desk in front of me so I was, like, oh, was at a library that? book sale yeah. and I saw a medieval mm-hmm. knight and a lady in a purple so dress I feel like that stuff just isn't important to the readers what's important to those readers is they want to feel strengthened to their god they want to see their own values reflected back to them and that is the kind of things Amish books reflect. Yeah. Can we talk about just really briefly some of the 
biggest negative arguments yeah, sure. towards Amish. Mm-hmm. So something that I kept coming across in the podcast I was listening to mm-hmm. and the things I was reading and that Jen wasn't necessarily coming to was the issue of race yeah. in these books. Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of these readers are white, yeah. evangelical women, as you said, but mostly white. Mm-hmm. Uh, 99.999999% <laughs> of the characters in these books are mm-hmm white yeah and it's an interesting phenomenon because these are contemporary romances they Mm -hmm. are set in modern day yeah as strange as as, like anachronistic as that may seem they are set in 2020 2021 etc etc um and the majority of other contemporary romances you see out there or at least like the big published ones Mm -hmm. are diverse representative they're trying to be yeah they're trying to be i will argue that i think sometimes the publishers focus so much on the popular ones we don't notice like the the ones that are like mid-success yeah we talked about that yeah exactly so like we got to be careful the publishers don't trick us either yeah and to think oh they're doing so good and i'm like are you but here's the thing is that there's none in the Amish. <laughs> yeah. And part of that is just their culture. They're pretty much swish and swish and swish. <laughs> I mean, they de- they descend from Switzerland and German. Swiss and German. Yeah, Swiss German. Gotcha. So, I thought you were trying to like switch and bait. No, and I was like, what do you say? I'm trying to say Swiss. I keep, okay. I keep saying switch in my head. That's okay. Swiss. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. And I think, honestly, I do think it's kind of like an unspoken thing that this is a very easy way for them to get around talking about race or dealing with race. Mm. One thing that I read too, we talk a lot about 9-11 and the kind yes. of effect it had on publishing. Yeah. One reason I think that the Amish in particular got so popular along with the economic stuff, along with the publicity stuff, along with everything else we've said is after 9-11, I think people just wanted a very safe white world. And so that... for the people that didn't want fantasy, again, if we're thinking about these spectrums, people, some people are going to go all the way over to like the ice planet. They want the sex. They want the secular. They want everybody to be okay. Blue inclusive. people. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the total opposite end where they're yes. like, you know what? I just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to worry about it. I just want to sink myself into this Amish book where they just have to be white. Like, they're white. And they do deal with difficult topics. Like, there's a lot of plot points where the Amish person gets pregnant from rape. Uh, the shunnings are, are overdone. But, like, it is a dramatic thing. Uh, one book plot I read, the the Amish hero was from a little people family. And okay. he was the only um, typical sized one. Oh. So the heroine was like, oh, do I want to marry into this family the whole time? So they do deal with kind of issues. But, no, I do think it is a deliberate choice that maybe they don't talk about maybe it's kind of one of those like subconscious things that which i have issues with yeah. i really do I no think, i mean it sucks but like yeah i yeah. i understand that that's what it is that the readers and this is this is where i'm going to push back against this genre oh. <laughs> if nothing else this is where i'm pushing back mm-hmm. as contemporary writers we have to acknowledge this even if you don't want to mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge this sort of stuff and if not, it really rings of white supremacy. I mean, that's fair. But at the same time, do you want Beverly Lewis to write people of color? I think she needs to acknowledge them in some way. I mean, she can acknowledge them, but I don't trust her to do a good job. And I think... And I think we're past the point of having bad representation just yes. to have representation. Exactly. No yeah. bad representation just to have representation, like yeah. you said. But I think that means that there is an inherent issue with this genre mm-hmm. that really needs to be addressed in some way, shape, or form. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, and they're not going to. <laughs> they're just not going to. I know. It's the th- I mean, it's a totally different worldview. And that's that, like we talked about in Scandals, like... Some people in romance, that's that's kind of the realm they want to be in. There's not a whole lot you can do. 
I know. It sucks, but like, But you as know, a that's young why feminist witchy woman, I say no! Listen, that's why they publish out of these Christian publishing houses. Yes, yes. And it's just, like, it, and that's kind of the, the start of Amish, too, where they didn't want to deal with all these foreigners. So mm. instead, we're going to have a really nice story where our, our sons will have an interaction with the other and not stick with the other. Like, it, it's almost in their DNA. Yeah. And I will say, you know, it is super sweet. Like, mm. to just have this idea, like I said at the very beginning, the longing glances yeah. over the butter churn and, oh, they touched hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Or yeah. apparently there's a lot of, like, buggy accidents. Oh, yeah. That's a big topic. That's, like, a main trope. <laughs> it's a big trope. There's a lot of really funny tropes that Amish I, people are like, that does not happen, weirdos. I know. I am excited <laughs> to dive into, like, yeah. the There's a lot of tropes good stuff there. in here, so, by the way. I just, I have personal issues i mean you I can have leave personal that, issues <laughs> like I, I there's a lot i don't like about amish readers but i'm like it's for them though yeah you know like what am i gonna do if i'd get really mad if they went over and like oh ice planet barbarians is stupid you know, like they do come over and say they that do though. that but i don't have to do the same thing i don't have to be I that know. too i know i yeah. know i do also find it amusing that this um, a lot of the reason that this became such a popular genre is because of capitalism. Oh, and yeah. something that Amish hate is capitalism. Exactly. No, it's hilarious that... All Irony. Of, listen, it's hilarious that all of these readers read these books because it's, like, anti-modern. But the reason they have these books is because of... Modernity. Exactly. Like, if they didn't sell, they wouldn't make them. Exactly. Like, the, the reason that so many were churned out <laughs> was because they knew they would sell. Yep. Yeah, there's and a that's niche. also that's also part of the popularity because if there was less Amish to read, like the sales would be as bad. Yeah, so like it's like a circular thing. Yeah, yep. Okay, well, Jen, where does that leave us for next time? Do you have anything so, else that you want to talk about? Mm, I think a lot of things. I want to. I will talk more. I think about the specific symbolism of what some of these things mean. And again, we're going to come back a lot to the evangelical thing because that is such a major pillar of why these books are popular and it defines a lot of the plots but i do want to look at some of the popular amish books i think we should finally read one yeah i think we should have an open mind and read one yep i borrowed the shunning today yeah. i think the shunning is a good one and then i think i might look for a newer one just to see kind of we had one of our today. book club members recommend a series to we us we don't have it though yeah so i might search around and see what else we can find but, yeah, I do want to sit down and actually react to one and talk to you guys a little bit more about these specific themes and how that has grown out of, again, the love of this pastoral thing, this rejection of hypersexuality, hypermodernity, yada, yada, your word. Hypermodernity. Hypermodernity, yeah. You this- got it! <laughs> Good. This one, I really just wanted to give you guys an overview of some of the background of where this came from, where it's going. Well, I don't know where it's going. I think it's going to stick around, though. I think it's going to get more popular. Or yeah. at least, I don't know if Amish specifically, but I think the pastoral yeah. setting is going to become really popular I mean, the, like the Mennonites are getting popular. The There are kind of these Ooh, fringe We should religions. see if we can find like a book about the Mennonite or the Quaker mm-hmm. and kind of like compare contrast. Yeah, that's true. I think it's going to be pretty similar aside from the, um, the rules and, and technology. Actually, and it's kind of interesting. A lot of these books, they start off like the strictest Amish possible, and then they usually end up Mennonite. Hmm. And that's usually the conclusion. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that leaves a loaded question to talk about next time. Yeah. So there you go. Well, again, it's kind of like an evangelical thing. There's this concept of um, an Anabaptist elevator where, like, oh. you just keep moving up denominations. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I do? Oh, I do have one last thing that I mm-hmm. want to talk about. Is okay. 
the aesthetic of a romance novel. Yeah. So it's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about, but it's the aesthetic of a romance novel is like the whole setting, not just like the scene and like the physical location, mm-hmm. but it's when you think Amish, like Jen asked me at the very beginning, I think of this kind of rosy tinted summer over a wheat field as the sun is setting and like the sound of the wind moving through the crop and all that sort of stuff. That's mm-hmm. the aesthetic of an Amish book yeah. to me. Which is very appealing to some people. And I think that that goes back towards back towards the appeal of an Amish romance novel mm-hmm. is the, the, the aesthetic yeah. of it. They are chaste books about chaste women living chaste lives. In a you know? very peaceful scene. Yep. Which today, sometimes that's all you want. Mm-hmm. So, hey. Sorry. As many issues as I have with the whole mm-hmm. setting and everything, I can admire it for wanting to have a peaceful book. And it's funny since uh, it does not sound like it's always peaceful in a household with eight children. Yeah, or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no painkillers. No, oh, natural well, painkillers. Yeah, they are. In, they do have that kind of a thing, but I guess it's a little iffy if they always go to the doctor. I mean, they do like crowdfund for medicine and stuff That's if it's true. needed. Yeah, it really depends. I mean, there's varying levels of how progressive or unprogressive the the Amish are, depending on the order and yeah, the rules depend on the community. It's not um. Listen, if you hear this and you're like, I want to talk to you guys about Amish. I have knowledge for you. Amish would not be listening to this podcast. I know that. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. But if you're ex-Amish or you have information. You like um, Amish. Yeah. If you like Amish, Send please, us an email. Send us an email. Ragingromantics mm-hmm. at Um, Come visit us at North Syracuse Public Library or Brewerton Library. If it's Jen, good luck finding her. Half the time I call and she's not there. <laughs> she's out on the truck. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better That's this okay. winter. Maybe. But, um. Yeah, we would love to have somebody talk to us yeah. about it. I mean, I think I have given you a brief overview of why I think it's popular. If you disagree with me, please let me know. And we are definitely going to get into it deeper when we actually have the books in front of us. And I can be like, oh, this isn't that bad. Or I can be like, this was the worst day of my life reading this book. <laughs> about this okay, it can't be heroine. worse than Flame in the Flower. Uh, that's true. Flame in the Flower is really bad, guys. Because at least these are, there is no rape on page 30. Well, there could still be. It just won't be graphic. Oh, or it'll be like off state, off page. Yeah, because they don't have any kind of contact like that on no. page. So I think the one line where they were like, um, "Oh, this refers to sex," was like, "Oh, in the in a deep hunter's shack, she willingly gave up her virtue," and that was literally the whole sex scene. Oh, yeah, interesting. It was before she was married, so that's why she gave it up. Oh, it was a whole thing. Oh. Yeah, and every single time, if you are not a virgin when you come to marriage, if um. You know, you have fun beforehand, I guess. It always ends in disaster. Oh. So, no, that's what I mean. That, that is what these books are. They are enforcing their beliefs and their values. Mm-hmm. And that is probably why we have a difficult time with them. Yeah. Because I don't particularly have a problem with modernity in some ways. I mean, I do in a way, but uh, the hypersexualization, like, fine. You got me there. Like, we are way hypersexualized. That's, that's a fine. whole conversation that's for another fine. point. I get why you want to. I mean, I don't agree with all the things, but, like, I do get why you'd want to be and more I can like, understand. hey, this is okay, that, it, that you're modest, that you're chaste, that you're whatever. Yeah, and technology, if you want to get away from technology, yeah, you know what? I don't blame you half the time. I know I'm addicted to my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's cool. Good for you. Um, I like running water. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting, because when they do occasionally do these polls of, like, oh, would you want to live as an Amish? They 
there's an equal number of people who are like, oh, I don't know. I would love to. But then there's my hair dryer. There's my water. See, you know, it's interesting that you say that because mm. as I'm sitting here, it's like I like running water. I wouldn't want to live as the Amish. At the same time, I'm like, I desperately want to go live out of a van and travel the world mm-hmm. and do van life yeah. or like live in a cabin in the remote woods. But you wouldn't have to take care of a farm doing that. But I would still have to like if I live in the cabin in the woods, I'd have oh, that, to provide yeah, you'd for have myself. a lot of work to do. But that's something there. I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 interesting, and I know that it's the religion that is tinging my uh, distaste mm-hmm. for it. So I am definitely excited. I'm looking forward to yeah. getting into these books and to exploring the plots and the tropes, and just to really kind of go in with an open mind. Yep, that's all I ask. I will try. Mm-hmm. That is all. Okay. Just try really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm restraining myself. Thank you. I appreciate the restraint. That's what she said. Okay. Well, are you ready to wrap it up then? Yeah. Oh, I do have one last thing I want to say. So I know we've talked a lot about Swiss Germans, and I just want to say that apparently we're top 10 in Switzerland with books and podcasts. Okay. So hi, Swiss listeners. We (laughs) love your chocolate. I'm really sorry I mispronounced uh, Swiss so much today. Swiss German is hard. Thank you. It is very hard. If it's French, I got you. Yeah. If it's chocolate and cheese, I definitely got you. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's all. So thanks for listening. And as always, thank you to everyone for listening. We appreciate each and every single one of you. Don't forget, you can always email us, ragingromantics at nopl.org. There's a link right there in the show notes for you. And if you are reading the show notes on your phone and it cuts off halfway, just click on the show notes button. It'll take you to the website and you can read the whole thing there. Cool. That is all. There's my spiel. It's beautiful. Jen, what do we always say? Rage on! Bye, guys.